So here we are once again uh, at Christmas. I was asking myself just a kind of a philosophical question this week. Like, why do we do this to ourselves every year? Why do we uh, come around as if it's a big circle uh, every year, on the same time every year in our, in our culture as a church to um, remember Jesus' birth? Like, we don't really do this for other people. I know back down in the States, they celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is in January, which is his, his birthday. There's a, another example of that. But I can't really think of, like, who else for maybe 2,000 years ago do we celebrate a birthday of? It's just, like, we take it for granted, like the fish swimming in the ocean don't ask what water is. We just, it, it comes around and we do it. And we remember it, and we do the shopping, and we do the presents, and we have the days off, and we do the trees. Why do we do this? Like, of course, there's this sort of surface answer, because Jesus was born. We celebrate that God's son was born on a, a certain wintry day long ago, and we mark and remember that every year, because there was something about him that was so great. And I think that's kind of the surface answer to it. Why do we do this? But if you sort of get a coffee and scratch your head and ask the question, why are we doing this? Why, why do we do this every year? Um, I think we'll be surprised at what we find when we dig deeper into this. And um, we might say that when Jesus was born, all hope was born again. Everything that was broken and empty and unfulfilled found its healing and fulfillment once and for all in this little baby. And so we celebrate that. We have to every year celebrate that. But I wonder if it goes even deeper than that. I wonder if there's something that we cannot see that's bigger than us that happens at this time of year in which God decides once again to come and visit us and to renew us, to start over. The church for 2,000 years has on this time of year on this particular Sunday has called this the beginning of Advent. And if you look at the church calendar, it's day one. This is New Year's. This is New Year's Day in the long church tradition. That's what today is. And what that is doing is that's reminding us that what has passed has passed. And it may have bruised us. And it may have left us bloodied. But there's renewing coming. We can start again. Or maybe we're in a pattern of our life that we just were like, you know, I've been trying to get out of this pattern for years and years and years. I just want to do over. I want to, I want to start again. Well, this is the day that reminds us of that. And I don't think it's because we as humans have created this cycle. So God has to do that. Okay, God, this is day one of renewal. We want you to come down and help us to start again, to take a deep breath and get renewed. I don't think it's like that exactly. I think it's that... What God is up to in this time of year is to speak the truth into our hearts that he's here to renew us. And we can feel that so profoundly. We can feel him doing that. Even if we're the, the person who wants to resist his presence and his work in our life, we can feel him doing that so profoundly that thousands of years of tradition have said, we're going to mark this with songs and trees and lights and festivities to wake us up because he's here doing that. And I think it's like you get down to the deep levels of what God does and how he does it and the power of Christmas 
and the power of these songs and the power of these lights and these symbols that we awaken once again to the chance to start over. So, um, why do we do Christmas? I don't know. Humans aren't made for Christmas, are we? <laughs> but maybe Christmas is made for us. So we'll let that sink in as we go forward. Now, I have, I have a bit of a strategy here to begin this message on this particular day. Because we have three and a half, four weeks before the, the day hits, before Christmas Eve hits, and um, we get all our Christmas last-minute shopping in, and all the craze sort of culminates on this one particular day. And some of us, we catch wind of New Year's, uh, Christmas Eve services or Christmas Eve time, and it's a magical time, isn't it? There's something almost magical about Christmas Eve if we open ourselves to it. Um, and on Christmas Day, when everything gets suspended, all of the work, all of the chaos, and we have to spend a whole day with the people we're supposed to love. And we can rush up to that day and that point, and it can just be a mess, can it? It can just be an awful mess. Partly because um, some people go through Christmas and are truly grieving something lost in their life. And, and they carry that grief from now as, as this holiday season starts. And they carry that all the way up to the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And what they do with that grief is they stuff it down and they numb it with things and shopping and working and whatever we numb ourselves with. And we get to that day and we're numb. Or maybe some of us numb ourselves in a different way. Maybe there's grief or sadness or pain. And what we do is we plant ourselves firmly in our own self-sufficiency. We don't need God. We've got this together. And we, and we spend the next three weeks in our own self-sufficiency. We're going to make all these plans. We're going to get it right. It's going to be perfect. We are going to make Christmas special if it's the last thing we do. And we get to that day, and it's chaos. And we get to the December 26th and 27th, and we rush on towards pagan New Year. No, I like New Year's. Uh, we rush on towards New Year's, um, and we, we go, you know what? We feel like we missed something. We missed the boat. We missed the chance, once again, as the cycle of Christmas has come on, to uh, really grieve and heal and recognize once again that our, our life is wrapped up in God and his presence. So why do I do this and why this long explanation? Because every year we get a chance again to try again, to land on those particular days, those magical days, with a bit more healing, with a bit more wholeness. And we can almost, like we can build a, a cathedral of space around those days that protects us and makes it holy. And we can be open fully to the message that God is with us and that he's renewing us. And all things have future and can begin again. And so that's what I'm inviting us to do as a community. For the next many weeks, my hope is that we are preparing ourselves for that, to land on those times with that kind of holiness around our time and space on Christmas. So I've got a few pieces of advice as we do. I've been thinking about this for about five years now in this way. Um, and just how important the preparation time can be. 
that we spend it not in hustle and bustle and numbing our pain, but we spend it, that we spend our time um, specifically and strategically, and so that we get there, and we, we maybe have said no to a lot of the consumeristic hustle and bustle, but we've said yes to something much more special, a holy space. So, uh, with that said, you'll see where we're going um, in the the next couple weeks. So to get there, I'm going to, once again, as if it's a present wrapped up, I'm gonna open up the story of Jesus' birth once again from the Gospel of Luke. We'll be opening the Gospel of Luke this time around. Last year we did Matthew, the year before we did Luke. So I like to do them in in alternating years. Um, Their stories are specific and they say specific things and sometimes when you mesh them together you just get this mishmash of ideas. So the Gospel of Luke, and we're gonna be looking specifically at the praying, the prayers of the nativity, Mary's prayer, Simeon's prayer, the prayer of the angels, and I'm gonna sneak one of the Apostle Paul's prayer in as well, because it fits. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at their prayers and we're going to see um, just what kind of invitation they have for us for setting up our advent well. Oh, that picture was supposed to be behind all of that eloquent speaking. I missed the boat. Okay, here we go. We're starting in, in Luke. And so the story goes like this. We're gonna talk about Mary's prayer today. Mary's, Mary's great prayer that she writes before Jesus was born. We're gonna start with, with the story of Elizabeth, the story of a barren woman whose dreams for having children were lost, who um, in, in that day and age specifically, if you were uh, a woman who couldn't have a child, there was a level of cultural shame that was set on top of you in that day and age. And... Um, and uh, so, so Elizabeth gets old. She's, I don't know, in her 70s, in her 80s. And her husband, Zechariah, is a priest of God. These are a priestly family, a, a group of um, a priests. And here you have a woman whose, whose dreams had been dashed. And she's going to have a wow experience with God. And then we have, on the other hand, a young girl who's going to be having a baby. And because she's having a baby before she's married, before she's been with any man, all of her dreams are going to be dashed as well. You have two women, potentially, who are going to be the laughingstock of the community, who people wouldn't understand, and all the things that they hoped for in their life, and the way that they hoped for them, are going to be um, turned upside down. And particularly with Mary, her life is going to be turned upside down because of her obedience to God. She's going to say yes to God and open herself to him and his presence in the most intimate of ways and face head on the shamers of her society. She's going to um, take all of the dreams that she had for herself and allow God to replace his dreams for her. He's gonna, she, she's the, both, both her and Elizabeth are gonna experience this great reversal where God is gonna come in and say, I've got a dream for you. I've got something for you in your life that is way more amazing than you could ever dream up. And they're gonna open themselves to that. 
So in order to hide her growing stomach, uh, this, this pregnant virgin on the left, she's going to leave town quickly before anyone can see what's happening, before she starts to show. And she's going to go to the hill country near Jerusalem to her cousin, her old cousin Elizabeth's house. And the angel's going to say, Mary, I know what I've just done to you and what you're going to experience is so out of, out of this world, out of what you're going to expect, that I'm going to give you some confirmations. I'm going to give you some assurances that I'm with you. And, and the way that I'm going to show you this is that your cousin Elizabeth is going to be with child. Mary doesn't know this other than this angelic message. And so she travels to Elizabeth's house um, and Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting. Mary's coming, I don't know, on a, on a donkey or a wagon or however she got there. She's going to call out, Elizabeth, I'm here. Elizabeth's not going to know she's coming. And Elizabeth's stomach is going to just leap. And it says that the Holy Spirit, God's very presence in a special way comes upon her. And she yells out with great, great joy. And Elizabeth has just quarantined herself for the last six months, by the way. She's, she was just this, she didn't want anyone, any spectacles, anyone watching. So she had just quarantined herself. So she's just out of quarantine. She hears Mary's voice. The Holy Spirit comes upon her. John leaps for joy in her womb. Jesus' cousin John, who will become John the Baptist, leaps for joy. And she starts to say, how is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me. And it's like, she's, it's almost like she's like, can't quite realize, doesn't realize what exactly she's saying, but she's going, you know what? I don't just believe that, that God is with us because here you are, young child, and you've got a child inside of you. But, but she's like, the, the promised king who we've been waiting on for 400 years is your baby. And I know that because God has told me. And so, because, and because John leapt in her womb. And when Mary hears this, I mean, just imagine, if you can just sort of try to get yourself in Mary's mindset, her whole world has been blown apart because she said yes to God. And she's going to obediently follow him, and she's, going to, um, and she's going to walk the hard path of being Jesus' mother. You can just imagine what it must have meant to her for this older cousin to believe her and to understand exactly what's happening. Gosh, how many times do we need people in our life who just understand us at that deep level? And, and God granted that gift to Mary through Elizabeth. So these strong women, we might say that the salvation of the world rested on this little family of priests being obedient. And specifically upon these strong women who said yes to God and faced the culture head on. That's how the world is saved. And so Mary, because she gets this joy in her heart because she is understood and her cousin believes her and she just breaks out in song. Elizabeth breaks out in song first, but then Mary breaks out in song. Uh, it goes like this. Here's how it starts. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit it rejoices in God, my Savior. How it comes. That's, her, that's how her song starts. And before, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the rest of the song is like and what it means a little bit. But my main point today is to invite you to see just how much her song is reliant upon the Psalms. Mary, when you, when you 
study Mary's song and you study this, this praise which she gives, not only does it match many of the psalms' structure of how these psalms were written, but it's almost like 60% is just psalms. She's just quoting psalms, different psalms from the Old, Old Testament. And she's quoting different parts of the Bible as well. I mean, it's, it's, we say that her mind is so scripture-saturated that her prayer life was just filled with these words. And that's my invitation to us in this prayer series. Can our hearts be so filled with God's word that when it's time for us to cry out to him for help or when we are saying, wow, you've just done something that I couldn't even imagine or when we're trying to share our thanksgiving to him, that outcome these words from the scriptures. Can our hearts be so filled with the Psalms? So here, um, I'm just gonna take one example. Mary's prayer in Psalm 103. Uh, Psalm 103 is a prayer of David. Uh, Mary prays, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And David's prayer of 103 says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And Mary is going to say in, in her song, holy is his name. And David's going to say, praise his holy name. And Mary's going to say, his mercy extends to those who fear him, which is an unbelievably awesome promise for those who see God as a powerful king, for those who give their best to try to serve him. His mercy and his love extends to those who will fear him like that. And so David, so great is his love for those who fear him. It's almost, Mary's almost, she's, Copywriting. I'm not copywriting. She's um, plagiarizing. <laughs> That's how this works. That's how this prayer life works. Mary, he has helped his servant Israel. David, he made his deeds known to his people Israel. Mary, and this is where it gets so interesting. This prayer is built on praising God, saying, saying a praise to him, telling him his name is holy. And then they're going to go into a litany of things he has done. Here's the reasons why I believe that. Mary, he is mindful. God does wonderful things. He extends love. He performed great deeds. He scattered the proud in their hearts. He brought down rulers. He lifted up the humble. He helped his servant, and he remembered. God does not forget us. And then David, he forgives sins. He heals diseases. He redeems. He crowns and satisfies. And the only difference between Mary's song and David in this regard is that Mary is going to be singing about justice, about people whose food was stolen from them, and God steps in and takes the food away from the thieving rich and brings the, up the lowly and feeds the hungry. It's a justice psalm, whereas David's psalm is a forgiveness psalm. It's a psalm of, don't forget that God is going to take you from the pit of wherever you're at, and he's going to bring you back out of that if you are humble of heart. That's the only big difference. But you can see how Mary, Mary would want to sing about justice and David would want to sing about forgiveness. It's the classic king versus peasant girl prayer. But whatever station of life they're in, their hearts are crying out to God. So I'm just going to just take a little bit deeper of a dive into Psalm 103 for us so we can get, get the background here. Um, this is a Psalm of David, 103. Uh, it, basically, its point is this. It's going to help us keep hold of God's essential character. It's one of the hardest things as the people of God to do, is to remember who he is. 
because we can so easily slip into thinking he's like us or like the tyrant people of our lives, the tyrant parents, the tyrant bosses, the tyrant spouses, no. Um, the, the tyrants of our life can make us forget that God is not that. And so this is a psalm to help us remember and maybe in this Christmas time and maybe in this Advent time, this is the very thing you need in your restart, in your refreshing of your life to remember once again who God's essential character is. Uh, forget not is, is a, sort of a, a phrase that comes up in Psalm 103. It's, it's, it's a call to us to, that we can't forget his character. And, and I'm not going to put this up here today, but David quotes in the psalm at one point the great uh, mosaic blessing or awareness of God, which is that this, that the Lord is compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, abounding in love. If you want to keep hold of the foundational truth of who God's character is, this is, you know, you've heard God of the Old Testament's a wrathful God, the God of the New Testament's a loving God. It's just, you read your scriptures, that doesn't, it doesn't really pan out like that. Moses, way back in the Old Testament, God is compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger and abounding in love. And David, he's going to take this point and he's going to expound upon it. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And I love this. I've tried to set this up so you can read the action words here. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins. Heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is who God is. This is what he's up to. Jesus takes probably these thoughts in progression and makes a story out of them. And we, we call that the, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who uh, needs forgiveness, he's off away and far from God, who's going to need healing and redemption, who is going to put a crown or a ring on the finger in the story of Jesus, who satisfies your desires with good things. This is what God is up to. If you want to know what God is up to in the world, follow this progression of ideas. That's who he is. That's what he's about. And I'm just going to give three, three, three categories, maybe two categories, I forget, two or three categories of, of what the psalmist says. He's going he's gonna to further expound on this point of forgiveness. God will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Verse 9. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 10. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God is not a tyrant who's about to explode at every little thing. That's not God. God is not just so angry at us that he's about to explode. That's, this is not the psalm, uh, the, the God that the psalmist gives us and not the one Jesus gives us either. He's, he's, sometimes he's just going to let be what happens. God, one person said, is not a helicopter parent. Doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. We come to this place in our life of prayer, just a small point, that when we recognize that, you know what, my life shouldn't be as good as it is compared to the things I've done. When you can fully recognize that and fully admit to that, you're deeper into the prayer life. Um, 
God, God doesn't always repay us for what we've done. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's going to remove our transgressions from us. This is good news. This is the gospel. For those who fear him and keep his ways, and this is a proviso, and that means that, that this isn't true of everyone, but this is true for those who do their best and recognize God's authority and do their best to follow him. That's what fearing him and keeping his ways mean. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows, I love this, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. If you are struggling with something or um, can't get out of a habit or uh, fighting against something that's inside of you, always remember this. God remembers that you are dust. That's such good news. He's not holding you up to this expectation as if you're not a human. You're a human. He created you with all sorts of complex things. He remembers that you're dust, okay? This is who God is. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Not by a show of hands, but how many people here are just so worried about their kids and their grandkids? (laughs) We can just get so eaten up with our kids and their well-being and their grandkids. This is a promise for us that if we do our best to follow him and try our best to follow his ways, that for our grandkids, God's righteousness is with them. God is with them. They're going to be okay. So we get back to Mary. Oh, I wish I had a picture of her there. So we get back to Mary. Okay, we're coming up out of the Psalms. That's, that's what stands behind Mary's song. If you're, if you're catching my point, the overlapping of the themes and the point of David's psalm of redemption and that God's essential character is loving. He's a loving father. And so this stands almost, almost towers behind Mary's prayer as the father was just rejoicing in his servant. And Mary goes on to pray, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, sings Mary, has done wonderful things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy, here it goes again, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary, this young woman, This faithful young woman has the truth planted deep inside of her that God is just. He's just and he's merciful and he holds those together and that's why he's God. He can do that. He's a God of justice and a role reversal. And if you as a human being feel like you are on the short end of society, if you're on the the short end of the, the way that the, the rich and the famous and the arrogant of this world are prosperous. If you feel like you're on the losing end of that equation, the good news is this, God sees that. He's not ignorant of that. He remembers that. And there will be a role reversal. We don't know how that works out. We don't know how it shapes out. For those of you who are um, 
Some of you in this community have devoted your life to put yourselves among the poor and the humble and those in recovery and those in need. And as you do so, you put yourself firmly into the heart of God as he is promised to make this role reversal happen. We don't know how he fills the hungry with good things, but he does. If, if you're someone who, you probably wouldn't know this about yourself, but if you're someone who's arrogant and, um, and takes too many things, takes too more, more than your share, lords it over people, um, here's the invitation. <laughs> Repent. Tell, tell, tell that to God. Um, I'm not, I'm not wise enough to convict those kind of people. Um, that's the promise. That's what Mary knows. That's what she's singing about. And ultimately what she's singing about is this, that God is a God of redemption and restoration and making things right. And that's what this whole season's about. This great promise that this, this um, young girl who's, whose life could have gone in so many happy directions decides to take on the suffering child who at first it may seem, uh, through whom it may seem the greatest tragedy of the world is going to happen. Mary's heart's going to be loaded with grief watching her son die on the cross. But the role reversal is in, the, the promise of the role reversal, the promise of God's character, his restoration, his goodness is deep within her. So how does that happen? My invitation as we move forward with it is this. Um, how to pray, how to get there. Um, this, if, if you're paying attention and if you've been following the prayer series since September, you'll recognize that this is the first time I'm going to give some prayer advice. First time. Uh, these, these two, Mary's song and Psalm 103 were written like this. Praising God, lists of motivating for praising God, recap. If you want to write a prayer, I'd invite you to, this afternoon, a pen, a piece of Christmas parchment, <laughs> whatever you have, <laughs> on the back of, back of whatever, um, write a few sentences of praise to God, just, I praise you, God. List out your motives, here's why I praise you, and then recap, a few sentences of recapping your point. One. One author said it like this. Um, if you have no interest in praising God, it means you've never really realized who he is. And maybe that's for some of you where you begin today. You, you dig yourself into Psalm 103 and you recognize for the first time who God is and how he sees us and how he treats us. And if we cap capture a little glimpse of who God is, the, the author says, out from us will come a cry of half-articulate exultation that bursts from the depths of our being in amazement at the tremendous, inexplicable goodness of God to human beings. Write a prayer. Write, write a prayer of praise today as your way to remember that we can make it to the December 24th and 25th uh, full of more than just anxiety. Or this, I've, I've been giving this invitation, I'm gonna give it for the next couple weeks. 
read five psalms. Go and pick five. They're, they're not usually that very long. Don't pick Psalm 119. That will count for four or five days. Um, pick five psalms and read them a day. Get the imagination of the psalmists into your imagination. Sew them together. Weave them together so that they can't be torn apart when trouble comes. Um, it, and don't just read them. I mean, you can. That works. That's helpful to read them. But when you read them, take a pen with you and circle ideas and thoughts that are really touching you. Experience the sentiments of the Psalms. That's how the, psalm, that's how the Psalms release their treasures to us, is when they, we allow our emotions and our sentiments to be connected up to the sentiments of the psalmist. Um, and slow, slow riding. My... Um, my experience with the Psalms is the way that I get them deep inside of me is in the morning I wake up, oh, I was going to bring one of my journals to read to you. It could have been good. I figured I'll do that next time. I, I wake up and I just get all of my anxieties out to God, all of my sentiments, all of my emotions, all of the things that are, I, can, I can locate that are inside of me. I write them down in a paragraph. And then I read a, five Psalms or however many they're going to hit me that day. And there are always at least one verse in these five psalms hits me and speaks truth to me and reorients my thoughts. And then I sort of make my own little prayer, write my own little prayer down. So where do we begin? Where do we begin with this refreshing, with this do-over? And this year, my invitation to you, friends, is with prayer in the psalms. Pray, get into the prayer, get into the, write your own prayers, get into the Psalms, connect their thoughts with yours. And as you do so, like Mary, you'll find yourself when you need it the most or when emotion is coming out of you like a fire hydrant the most, you'll find that what comes out of the Psalms, the very, the very words of God written for us um, in the Old Testament. So, so, friends, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to take for you personally to be ready for, for Christmas. It could be many things. And I know, I know for some of us, um, it's, it's a hard, hard time. We, we carry a lot with us. But I know each one of us wants to land on Christmas, maybe just a little more healed, just a little more refreshed and open. So whatever that's going to take, friends, I'm inviting you into that today and inviting you to bring it to the altar we, we set the table here with the hope candle lit, uh, just as Jesus promised us to do. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice. We take it inside of us as an act of prayer and devotion in its own right. Uh, even though God is like a father to us, the gospel tells us that we are trapped we can't get to God except through Jesus, except through his work. I'll put it this way. Without him coming and dying on the cross and shaking the, the bars and breaking them off of the, the, the jails that we find ourselves in, we can't get out by our own power or strength. And so we keep a hold of God's very character and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus came to bring us to him. That's how this works. So I invite you forward, friends, whatever you have with you today, whatever it is on your heart, whatever God has spoken to you, 
I invite you as an act of prayer to come and to dip it. And once again, to take him into you. And as you do so, who knows what he'll have to say. So the table is set and everyone here is welcome.